So the reading for today will be from the Mark chapter 9, verses 30, uh, down to uh, Mark uh, chapter 10, verse uh, 31. So Mark 9, verse 30, uh, through Mark 10, uh, verse 31. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. Uh, when he was in house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and, th and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as, he was, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. 
People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Amen. Thank you, Andre, so much for cheering us up this morning. Thank you, Ilza, very much for reading the Bible. May I add my welcome especially to those who are visiting us. Quite a few visitors today. It's always a great joy to welcome uh, new visitors. Um, can, I, can I ask someone, maybe Robert, you can quietly distribute these uh, really ancient, um, ancient things called the piece of paper. And maybe you have um, a pen or something. We have one here to write your questions. Or you can jot them down in your device and then somehow make sure I know about the questions. But this, this is something that I already um, uh, told us last week, um, partly also because there is no way I can cover the whole material, uh, all the details, everything that you want me to answer from, from even today's passage. So please, please um, write your questions down. Right, um, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus, but I constantly fail. I want to follow Jesus, but I constantly fail. Now, let me skip the whole introduction today. I have way too much material, so let me get straight, straight to it. Jesus tells his disciples for the second time what kind of Christ he is. Do you remember from the last week? Peter wanted to follow 
um, Jesus, who is all about glory now. And he got to, call, got, got to be called Satan. Indeed, Jesus is about glory, but only about glory later. And the disciples really struggled with this idea. So Jesus repeats himself the second time, as you notice that maybe already in verse 32. Glance with me. Jesus says it again. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Now they must get this the second time around, right? Wrong. Verse 32 continues, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Again, we see that the main issue uh, hasn't gone really anywhere away. The disciples were not neutrally ignorant, no. They were willfully, still willfully rebellious. And Jesus knew that even as he, he knew that even as he was inquiring, you know, what the guys have been chatting about on the way. What they were chatting about on the way. You know how a group of um, youngsters or whatever, office colleagues, they, they have a good laugh somewhere in the corner. It's a lot of fun to, to see. And, and then, you, then you want to join in and, and you walk up and you say, you know, what, what you're laughing about? What's so funny? Just to be met with a complete silence. And you instantly know that the laugh might not be so good after all. They are hiding something. They are doing something behind the back. Well, that is what's happening with Jesus' disciples here. They are hiding something because they kept silent. And what was that? Verse 34, for on the way they had, an ar they had argued with one another about who is, who was the greatest. Who is the greatest among us? Well, it is not hard to imagine how things went down among them. Do you remember as, well, let's just picture that. As Peter, James, and John, they were coming down from this glorious mountain with Jesus, you know, the, the weekend hike. Um, they must have felt quite full of themselves. We spend a weekend with Elijah and Moses and Jesus. You know, especially seeing that the other nine there, they couldn't do any, anything about this, this poor guy who was possessed by an evil spirit. They couldn't do anything about that. I mean, humanly speaking, it is so hard to resist the thought that you are somehow special. It is. Jesus chose only three, uh, you know, three of us with him. We were amongst the greatest. Therefore, we must be greater than the other nine. And so the argument arose. And so they were on the way arguing with one another. And Jesus knows that, that this must not go unchecked. It requires a sit down. And so Jesus calls the class together for the instruction Look with me at verse 35. And Jesus sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, 
he must be last of all and servant of all. Well, this really is the key verse of our passage today. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus, once again, what, what does he do? He redefines greatness. Now, our culture says if anyone would be first, he must do everything he can to be first. All means justify this end, even if one tramples over a few dead bodies, you know, on the way. It justifies the end. But notice that Jesus says something different. But what is surprising, Jesus doesn't say it is wrong to want to be first. Jesus doesn't say it is wrong to want to be greatest. No. He simply wants the disciples and us to see what to be greatest means. What does it look like? Do you want to be first? Do you want to be greatest? Well, here is what this means. Hence the, the big idea today. It means humbly receive others as an opportunity to serve. What does it mean for a Christian to be the greatest, the first? Humbly receive others as an opportunity to serve. And uh, Jesus provides an illustration of that from verse 36 onwards to help the disciples to grasp the point. Uh, look with me at verse 35. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Plain and simple. Well, it's not that simple, really. Let me, well, this is the week of the pastor's confession. Let me, let me tell you as a parent of four how challenging it is. I think I am generally good at receiving my children when they are asleep. Very good. I like them so much. I love them so much. But I am not so good at receiving them when they are alive and kicking the doors, kicking each other in the head, punching one another in the face and complaining about the choice of breakfast. I'm very poor at doing that. In other words, I find it sometimes very, very hard to humbly receive my children as an opportunity to serve. Now, of course, a, a child is just an illustration here. I could equally be so my children-centered all the time that I still fail the basic test of Jesus of being the last of all and servant of all. Now, what, what about you? What about you? Do you find it easy to be last of all? Uh, do, do, you find it, uh, do, do you find it easy to be the servant of all? What would humbly receiving others as an opportunity to serve would look like in your life? Th think about this maybe. Maybe even ponder on that and write a question or two down. Well, I, I think the key danger, though, according to Jesus, appears to be an inflated view of self 
and that of the ministry. I think that is where the passage is, is sort of moving towards. The disciples just can't stop thinking they are better. They just can't stop thinking they are, they are the special squad. They are chosen. And so they failed Jesus' test. Look at verse 38. They give an example of their own failure. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. So, how do the disciples fail Jesus' test? They proudly shut down the ministry of this guy who serves Jesus. Do you see? They fail to receive another person in Jesus' name. Did you spot this link with this demon-casting-out guy and the child? In my name, Jesus says. And that's what the disciples failed to do. And sadly, by doing that, they actually fail to receive Jesus. They fail to receive Father himself. Instead, Jesus implies you should have brought some water to, to this guy. He isn't after harming our cause. No. He too belongs to me. Indeed, the test of your greatness, verse 41, is whether you'd be ready to supply some water. I think now I see why Andres Elion inquired whether I have water here when I'm standing to preach. I think he got a lesson from this passage. Um, you know, well done, Andres, going for greatness. Um, but that's what Jesus says. Jesus redefines the greatness. If anyone would be first, which is good, he must be last of all, servant of all. Now, friends, I don't think our greatest danger here at Grace Church is, is shutting down someone else's ministry. I don't believe so. But nevertheless, let's think for a moment about receiving others who serve Jesus. Now, should we, therefore, be totally open to anything and anyone who claims to do things in Jesus' name? I think that's an important question. And I don't think that is what Jesus is saying here. Just think about this in the context, context of Mark alone. Jesus insisted on correcting the Pharisees about their false teaching in Mark 7. Do you remember? About the man-made rules, etc., etc., and also, think about the Apostle Paul in, in the books like 2 Corinthians, where, he's, where he puts a finger on these um, men who are not sincere, servants of Christ. He exposes their, their, their peddling the word of God for their own profit. You know, think of TV evangelists nowadays. So Paul elsewhere commands, have nothing to do with them. So friends, we are not to, uh, we are not to um, you know, throw our discernment out of the window. We do not partner, we do not support indiscriminately anything or anyone 
who claims to serve, serve in Jesus' name. So what is Jesus exactly getting at? I think what Jesus says is that Christians, Christians should never concentrate on finding fault in other churches for the sake of just finding fault. Christians shouldn't be deliberately argumentative. Christians can easily use their theological criticism to mask their pride. And that is what Jesus warns his disciples against. Rather, we should be gracious. Rather, we should be hospitable and welcoming. You know, I, I had this example in mind, so some of you might know. So we, we befriended a couple from a, a Russian-speaking Pentecostal church. Some of you may actually know them. She's from Argentina, and he's from Chile. And so they are trying to reach the, the Latino community in Riga, which apparently is quite big and quite growing. And, and so uh, they, they actually visited a month ago or so, and I said, you know, guys, I mean, if, if the Lord... Um, brings these people to you, and you have nowhere, nowhere to stay, you're welcome to come on a Sunday evening here. We, we have space. And, guys, to be fair, I, don't, I would not probably be on the same page with them theologically on some issues, right? But that doesn't mean that we can't be hospitable. That doesn't mean we can't be welcoming and friendly because they are serving the gospel. They want... Uh, the, the internationals, the Latinos in Riga to get to know Jesus and being saved. So, by way of summary in the middle, so Jesus wants us to see that there is nothing wrong with wanting to be great. He simply redefines what it means. It means to be lust and the servant of all, humbly receiving others in our life as an opportunity to serve them. But what if I don't want to be great? It's a cheeky question, isn't it? What if I just don't... I don't want to be great. In other words, is humble service an optional extra for Christians? What is, it, I mean, what is your gut feeling as you think about this? What is your gut feeling? Well, let me tell you, it doesn't really matter what your gut feeling is. You might not have breakfast this morning, so don't, don't trust your gut, okay? What matters is what Jesus says, right? And what Jesus says is, and here's one of the first really challenging things, guys. Failing to humbly receive others as an opportunity to serve is sin that deserves death sentence. Does it sound harsh? Well, it's simply true. Glance with me at verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Do you think this guy has any chance to survive? No. Well, I, I think two things link Jesus' teaching here to the disciples' It's a sinful failure of not receiving another Christ's servant. A, it's the little ones. You know, Jesus said, whoever receives this child, this little one. And the disciples just kicked the little one out. Stop, stop serving Jesus. And B, Jesus' command in verse 50, 
concept of verse 50 is be at peace with one another. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have rejected this guy. Be at peace with one another. So that's why I think this bit is really linked to the disciples' failure. Friends, Jesus is dead serious about the disciples' necessity of dealing with sin. That is what this, this really challenging middle bit is about, dealing with sin. Cutting off hands, cutting off feet, tearing out eyes. And you would think, why? Why such a graphic language? Jesus wants to underline that fighting sin is not an optional extra for Christians. Friends, Christians who do not deal with their sin and thus make other Christians stumble, Jesus says towards the end, is like a soul that has lost its saltiness. It is useless. It is to be thrown out. Well, I think these verses do perfectly fit in in our little section diagram, don't they? So what, what was our little, little section diagram? Lose life now to gain it later, to save it later, or save life now, gain the whole world, and forfeit your soul. Forfeit your soul. So how does these challenging words fit in to that our section diagram? I think Jesus says, retain your limb, retain your limb. Read, don't fight your sin, and you will go to hell. Severe your limb, read, wage a bloody war on your sin. Do that, and you will go to heaven. In other words, take the most radical action possible to avoid sin. Are you willing to do that? Now, the big challenge in this section is the whole realm of later, isn't it? We just don't have the eternal life before us all the time. We don't see it. Why fight sin if this life is all there is? Why fight sin? Now, friends, I know we wouldn't say that. At least most of us, we wouldn't say that. But just think for a moment. Is it not how sometimes we think, how sometimes we behave? Is it worth fighting our sin. But Jesus says, guys, there is life after death. Have this perspective. So take the most radical action possible to battle it, to avoid it. The radical self-denial, Jesus says, is better. Enter the kingdom of God bruised and battle-weary is better. Than hell. What would be the cutting of the hand equivalent for you? How would you deal with sin radically? Let me throw um, just a few examples by way of examples, and you can think along your lines. Maybe you are struggling with pornography. What would be radical dealing with? Uh, what would the radical dealing with that look like? Or maybe it's selling your computer. That would really, really hurt. 
Maybe your problem is drinking. What would radically dealing with it look like? Going nowhere near the temptation, that would be challenging, right? Maybe, maybe your problem is, is greed. What would radically dealing with it look like? Or maybe giving to the gospel work here at Grace would be a good start. Now, Jesus, friends, Jesus is dead serious about dealing um, with sin. In fact, I think what he says here is unless we stop sinning, we will go to hell. Now, this is the place where preachers usually kind of stop because it sounds bad. Where the preachers usually are tempted to soften the blow of the word of God. You know, we think, right, this sounds really too harsh. I mean, people, people will be just crushed by these demands. We need to inject some grace eventually, right? And friends, do not misunderstand me. We all desperately need grace. We are hopelessly lost without grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only hope for life, period. But, but, grace should never be used to excuse sin. Grace should never be used to substitute our fight against sin. By all means, we will get to the grace. I think even today, I promise that. But at this point, friends, we really need to hear the sharp edge of Jesus' words. Failure to deny yourself is desperately serious. Again, verse 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, must be servant of all. And verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, what might this look like in practice? What might this look like in practice? Now, it's instead of making up you know, my own application for, for the sermon, I suggest that we can find it in, the, in our passage today in the rest of our passage. Uh, so how come? I believe that Mark couples further two negative examples and two positive examples by way of application and pressing this truth home. I, the negative examples uh, that Mark couples together are the Pharisees in chapter 10 with the rich young man. Just to be clear, they are, I think, mostly negative examples. The Pharisees caused that little ones to stumble, we see, by justifying an easy divorce. And the rich young man fails to deny himself and leave all his wealth behind. In fact, they both, these both, boast in the law, but dishonor God by breaking it. That's what really joins them together. Firstly, the Pharisees, by way of application. Now, people back then, back in the days, would think very, very highly of the Pharisees. 
one would turn to the Pharisees for the instruction from the law. That would be the go-to person. And one would look for the advice for practical application to the law for the Pharisees. But of course, we already know that they hate Jesus, so they can't be good. And indeed, glance at chapter 10, verse 2, they want to test Jesus again. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, they ask? Well, they are quite convinced that the law is on their side because Moses is on their side. Jesus, here Moses, Moses allowed a man to write a, a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And uh, Jesus exposes their insincerity and hardness of heart. You know, they, they, they were really looking for a quick excuse. Oh, my wife, you know, she burned the pancakes. Here is the certificate. Go. That's what basically they were doing. And so Jesus, Jesus points them to God's heart and mind from the beginning. But from the beginning of creation, God made the, the male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, though they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. The Pharisees boast in the law, but dishonor God by breaking it. They cause others to stumble. They are not in the least concerned about the pain and suffering that the divorce brings into people's lives, especially how it leaves women in the first century in an utterly, utterly vulnerable position. They are not at all concerned about this. Now, friends, we have to be very clear about this, all of us. All of us here have failed in the area of relationships in one way or another in our lives. And, and maybe someone even listens to this as a divorcee and finds Jesus' teaching really hard. Again, what we would love to hear Jesus say is, Oh, well, here is the Christian ideal, but don't worry too much if you fall short of it. But that is not what Jesus is saying, isn't it? Jesus would rather want us to hear the sharp edge of his words. Failure to deny yourself and cause others to stumble is desperately, desperately serious. One of my Christian friends took this teaching very close to his heart. When he became a Christian... He decided to meet up with all of his previous girlfriends, and thank God there were not so many of them. <laughs> and he decided to apologize to all of them personally for hurting them because of all the breakups, etc. You know, I don't know the detail, I don't need to know the detail, I know my own life. But here is what he did. He took this teaching very, very seriously. Well, well, maybe you are someone who is sitting now and, and, and thinking, 
Thank God none of this applies to me. I'm not married, so I'm not married. I haven't been in serious relationships. I haven't caused anyone to stumble in the area of sex and relationships. I am off the hook, thank God. Well, my friends, we, we, we can smile about this, but this is exactly how the rich young man in our passage thought about himself. But as we will see in a minute, it didn't get him off the cook, of, of Jesus' hook. So the rich young man. As the Pharisees, the rich young man would be very, well, he would be considered as blessed by God. Okay? Wealth in the Old Testament was generally considered a sign of God's blessing. And this, and this man, glanced at verse 17, he was very devout. He knelt before Jesus, and he was very humble. Um, he, um, he knelt before Jesus, and he was very concerned about eternal life. So he was devout and humble. So why are we saying there is any problem with this guy? Nobody would have thought that there is any problem with this guy. Well, well, some think that the problem with the rich young man is legalism. Meaning, you know, he wants to climb the ladder to heaven by doing good things. And that might seem a plausible option, you know, at the first glance. And, and so we expect Jesus to say, no, 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 stop. Stop trying to keep the law. It will not get you anywhere. Except that this is not what Jesus says. <laughs> glance in verse, verse 19. Jesus instead says, well, here are a few things you should do. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Plenty of stuff to do. But when the rich young man responds that he already has kept all these things, though we surely do expect Jesus to say something like this, oh, all right, all right, right now it is time to stop and and receive grace. But to our surprise, <coughs> Jesus says, here's something else you should do. So how does that fit with the whole legalism thing? What is really the, the, the rich young man's problem? Why does he not get off Jesus's hook if he is so good? The rich young man tries to be good, but eventually he fails to be good. That's his problem, guys. I mean, you, you students, all of your students, and you ex-students, which means all of us, we would know that, right? So imagine, imagine you have been preparing for this exam really well, like plowing on like 24-7 for a week, and you have read and reviewed everything there is to review and read, and you're absolutely confident that you will succeed. Now you have this peace in your heart, you just waltz into this auditorium, you look around really satisfied with yourself. And the exam comes and it really goes like a hot knife through the butter, it just flows, it's perfect. But at the very moment that you're supposed to hand in your paper, you discover there was a flip side of it. But there's no more time, there's a flip side of it. You try to be a model student, 
but you failed. So how did the rich young man fail? Well, he was boasting in law, but dishonored God by breaking it. How? By placing his wealth where God should be. By placing all his money where God alone should be. Verse 21, and Jesus looked at him. It breaks our heart, right? He loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The rich young man failed to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. Because for him it meant selling all of his possessions, giving them to the poor, and following Jesus. He failed to cut off his hand, read, to deal with his sin of greed now. And so he didn't inherit Jesus' promise of treasure in heaven later. Some really tough, tough thing, isn't it? Do you see how serious the failure to deal with sin is? Is there anything in your life you cannot let go so badly because it has taken the place of God? Just ponder silently for a few seconds. Is, is there anything in your life you cannot let go so badly because it has taken the place of God. Now, friends, Jesus is determined to press this home for the disciples. Glance with me at verse 23. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is relentless. Verse 24, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, how about an illustration? Well, don't you think that Jesus, in verse 24, basically substitutes verse, uh, word difficult for um, um, impossible? Now, I will always remember how one pastor uh, put it in his talk to the students on, on the mission week that, that I took part in uh, quite a few years ago. So he said to all these students, it doesn't matter how you look at it. Camel doesn't go through the eye of a needle. You can put the camel through the finest blender on earth. You can blend him and stretch him for a miles, and he will still not go through the needle. Eye of a needle. It's a gross illustration, isn't it? But it works. I suppose at this point, we should be pretty, pretty desperate. Are you slightly desperate? I am. As I was writing this, I was really desperate. We should be exclaiming like the disciples do in verse 26. And they were exceedingly astonished. 
and said to him, then who can be saved? I mean, if the Pharisees are off the list, if the rich young man is off the list, who then can be saved? Jesus, if you say to deny yourself and fight the sin in my life is essential but impossible, then who can be saved? Do you hear that sort of the dissonance of that? On the one hand, Jesus says fighting your sin is essential. You do not do that, you go to hell. <laughs> then on the other hand, he says, but frankly, it's impossible. Now, that is desperate. And Jesus really, really wants us to hear the sharp edge of his words. Therefore, with men, it is impossible. Okay? Let's be very clear, guys. With men, it's impossible. Do you feel the frustration? Do you feel the... The astonishment of the disciples. Do you want to enter the kingdom of God? Do you want to enter the kingdom of God? Well, you can't do it. Well, that's frustrating. But how on earth do I end up there then? Here again, verse 27. With man it is impossible, but, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. So friends, how can we be part of the kingdom of God? And here is the key word. It's receive. Receive it. It's so relieving to see that actually this is one of the, one of the rare examples in our section where the disciples are displayed in a positive light in Mark's gospel. They are basically failures all the way through the Mark's gospel. But this is one bit that's really, uh, you know, um, a ray of light, a, a sunlight for a moment. Jesus affirms that by, and he affirms that by calling them children. is the first time that he calls his disciples children. I left our children out on the purpose. I glance back at verse 14 and 15. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not, what, do a lot of things, provide for his family? No. Whoever does not receive in empty hand the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And Jesus reassures the disciples that by leaving everything and following Jesus in this life, they, verse 30, will indeed receive in the age to come the eternal life. How relieving is that? Now, at this stage in the gospel, the disciples have no idea how this is going to be possible. They only have Jesus' word of receive it. But a little later, Jesus will reveal it. Look at the key verse of the whole book, chapter 10, verse 45. That's slightly outside of our today's reading. A little shame. 10:45. For even the Son of Man, Jesus calls himself the, you know, the, the, the universal ruler, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. To receive the kingdom of God means to receive Christ's ransom for my failure to deal with my sin of dishonoring God. Can I say this again? To receive the kingdom of God means to receive Christ's ransom for my failure to deal with my sin of dishonoring God. Well, I, I suppose we should actually wrap, wrap up here. Uh, please, please write, write down some of the questions that would spring from what you've been hearing today. Maybe I should have explained some things better, more clearly, or maybe just expand on things that I just very briefly touched. But please, please write down a few questions that we can talk about just in a minute. But I just wanted to end with a word of encouragement, guys, because there's been a lot of really tough and challenging teaching today, especially for all you internationals who have left your homes, your moms, your dads, your, your, your brothers, your sisters, even your awkward cousins, right? They are nice. <laughs> They're nice. And often you feel really alone here in this Latvia, you know, alone in your struggles, your temptations and battles with sin. Um, here's the word of encouragement. And which verse is it? You'll find it. Truly, truly, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, <coughs> yes, with hardships, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Friends, in our feeble efforts to fight our sin and to be the servants of all, we are not alone. We are not alone in this. We have received a new spiritual home and family here at Grace International. Dads, moms, even granddads and grandmas and sisters and brothers and maybe one or two awkward cousins too. You know, and we share with all of them the hope of eternal life through the ransom of our Lord Jesus Christ. How, re how revealing is that? How sweet the sound of saving grace to all those who want to follow Jesus but fail to do this, right? How sweet the sound of saving grace. Let me pray briefly and then we might spend a few minutes in the questions that you have. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we we're here and we are really want to be really honest about ourselves before you. We want to follow Jesus. We want to follow the real Jesus of the Bible. We want to deny ourselves often 
in our inner being. We, we want to be servants of all, but we know how we fail. We know how we fail, often even deliberately, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. And so, Father, thank you for the really, really tough word today of if we do not do anything about our rebellion against you, even as your children, if we justify our sin, if we justify making others to stumble, then it's going to be bad. So, Father, we cast all of ourselves at your feet, Jesus, at your mercy, and we marvel, we marvel at your grace for those who want to follow you but who fail. Father, we, we ask that you would not, you wouldn't allow us to place our confidence in our own well-being or in our own good deeds or efforts. Because we know that we can't, we can't climb up to heaven by ourselves. It is impossible with man. So Jesus, we pray that we would, we would really depend on your ransom at all um, for, uh, for, uh, for us. We pray that we would really, really grasp what it means to trust in your saving work for our eternity and for our strength. To follow you and we praise you for this church family here for our brothers and sisters for our moms and grandmas and dads granddads we pray that in this life you have given us already so so much we praise you and ask all these things in jesus name amen maybe there is a minute or so maybe you have your sheets of paper Maybe there's only three or four questions. Maybe there's only two or one question. We can still think about some of these things. So here's a minute. Let's do a minute. Just you can stand up and stretch. Um, write a question. Pass it on here. We can chat for 10 minutes or so. And then to the announcements and prayers. Okay? If there are any questions, they can go in here. And so as you may be jotting a question or so or putting that in, in, um, in the, on, on this plate, I thought maybe in the future in terms of the, the Q&As, you can actually send in some of the questions to the Grace International Gmail. So why not maybe sometimes we can, we can post the address somewhere, send them in advance, maybe a week ahead, and so that we would, you know, I would have maybe a bit more time and so do not fulfill Andres' destiny for me today. Uh, but anyways, I'm, I'm very happy to just do it off the cuff uh, about what we've been hearing in Mark. Um, are there, are there going to be any questions? Are there any questions? Yeah. Great. Excellent. Yes. 
I'm happy to start it off, Andy, yes. as, as the questions come to you. Um, so today you had uh, the tension between not just relying on grace, uh, but but working at uh, at the sin in our lives. But but the working at the sin in our lives is never going to get us to heaven. How, how do you see that working out in our lives, the trusting in the grace, but still working? Like how, how does that tension work out in our lives? Yes, I thanks, Andres. I This is this is sort of a million dollars question, isn't it? Yeah. So the question from Andre Andres was in chapter nine, uh, sort of verses forty-two to fifty. We hear this that Jesus says that battling sin in our lives is is essential, right? Uh, how how does that look practically also combined with we do that, but not trusting our own efforts to accomplish it by trusting, but by trusting in God's grace. Well, um, just to answer the question, I, I, I think it's, it, it, I think it has to do with the attitude of our heart, um, and our and also, firstly, also sorry to back up of our understanding of who we are. I mean, Luther had this famous, famous. Um, description of a Christian, and he is um, he is basically a sinner and a saint. He is a saved sinner. Um, and that kind of, that kind of um, helps us to start off thinking about this. So as I look back at my week, or even a day, you know, as the Holy Spirit sheds light on how, how have I done... I actually should experience a sorrow and a real kind of zeal to do better, right? That that should be the the, the my my primary feeling. But from there on, how I continue, that I think that's the key. And it will not be, although it's going to be practical, it will not be me primarily about pulling up my socks and kind of, you know, I'm going to work this out. I'm going to improve. I'm going to do this better. The starting point is, is actually coming to Jesus and saying, um, you know, have, have, oh, Heavenly Father, you know, I, I have really sinned. I, I am really sorrowful about that. Um, I'm, I'm not worthy, but because of what you've done, but because of your, what you've done, um, A, please forgive me, and now please help me. Give me strength to improve in this or that area. Please help me to be more patient, you know, with my children or with my spouse or with my friends, maybe with my non-believing friends. You know, I think it's the way we view ourselves and therefore how we how we proceed with dealing practically. You know, I, I've, you know, and I, I fell again. You know, I was angry again. Um, but, but yes, and I come back to Jesus, ask forgiveness, thank him for his ransom, and ask for a strength to, um, you know, some, sometimes, you know, I, you know, I mentioned I find it some, sometimes hard to, kind of deal with, uh, receive, receive gently my, my four children at home. And so I sometimes, you know, I would work in the office and I say, right now I'm coming 
back home to the battlefield. There's going to be war, a flat-out war there. I'm not, I know that I'm going to be really tempted to be, you know, impatient um, or so. And so, as I go home, I pray. I pray, Jesus, help me. You know, I can't do this. In, in my own strength, I can't do this. Anyway, just think for your own examples. Um, anyways, hope that makes a, a little more sense. Uh, any more questions? Where, where is our... Where is our oh, wow. Thanks, guys. That's encouraging. Hey, love it. So maybe, maybe, uh, there, maybe with possibilities of science, science in the future, it will be possible to implement something in the brain to avoid sin. Ha, huh, that's, that's a futuristic view on, on that. Um, so that's a question. Maybe, I have no idea what, what the science and technology... Yeah. I mean, the, the, t- take the, the whole artificial intelligence chat box thing. I mean, it's crazy already, isn't it? Yeah. It's going to be a revolution. But um, uh, just to... The, the short answer is no, no. We, we are doomed, like... Like, we are completely doomed without grace. And, and again, I, I love the word brain, brain. Do you know how we, we were looking at chapter 7 and we said, well, it's not really about our brain. We can figure out stuff, a lot of, a lot of stuff in, in, in our brain. The problem is here. And the, um, our hearts, they, they fail us 100%. 100%. And so we need a heart surgeon, and technology and science and medicine is not going to do it. It can't cure the heart. It can't cure our... Um, what's, 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 the, what's the term? Um, um, original sin. Original sin. Can't. Just can't. Children are born in this world, are nice little babies, Michael and Edmonds and all these guys. They are born, they look so cute, but they are in, there's inbuilt, inbuilt rebellion. I actually believe that my Timothy, until two and a half, didn't inherit the original sin. Well, I didn't, but he was, he was so compliant, he was perfect, he was happy about everything. And then two and a half, something, like someone's flipped the switch. Where did that come from? And, and so it can't be cured, guys. We need Jesus. We need grace. We need his ransom. We need his strength. We need his work to get us there. But thanks. Uh, nice try. Very good try. Um, don't trust science. Don't trust technology. If you are already saved, can you lose your salvation if you do not? Mark 9 43, if you not do, do Mark 9, 43, fight sin. Thanks, a very, very good, good question. Again, a million-dollar question, right? If, if you are already saved, can you lose your salvation? Uh, I want to really, really encourage you. No, you can't, okay? The big um, scripture's answer is... If, if Christ has spilled his precious blood, 
He's washed away your, your sins, past, present, future. You cannot lose your salvation. So A, you didn't save yourself by your works. You cannot lose your salvation by your works, okay? I think, and that's, we need to be very clear from the perspective of, of how God sees us in Christ. We can't. But I think what the passages like these do and how they fit into that big important truth is, is that the way God gets his children to, the he to heaven is by giving them these warnings and making them tremble before them, okay? Every true child of God, when he comes to this chapter 9 text, he says, Oh, oh dear, I'm in trouble. I need Jesus. Uh, I need his strength. I need his help to deal with my sin. And that is day by day how God gets us to heaven. It's his doing by his spirit, but he makes our hearts tremble um, before him about our sin, okay? But just to be very clear and in encouraging to you, um, a true child of God cannot lose his salvation. There is nothing we did to earn it. There is nothing we can do to lose it. How we get to heaven? By trusting in Jesus and trembling before his word daily. That's how God gets us to heaven. So, um, the, oh, I thought this could be last question. One, two, three, four, five. Right, let me, let me see. Right, let, let me read and process it at, uh, at once. The... the the influence from last week's sermon, since we are all in this world, if we are not influenced by God, then we are influenced by the world. How do we identify the influences every day we get from tradition, culture, mainstream media, circle of friends, news, world, uh, you know, Trends, wealth trends, etc. Um, that are yeah, yeah, that, that we are standing with God, or, or or we are against Him. So how do we discern that? How practically shall we battle with the sins that are trying to stumble us? Well, may, I don't. Maybe some of that. Some of the things that I already said maybe started to answer that question. But again, so the, the, the discernment, I mean, the, the good news, my friends, is that, that, that as we became Christians, you know, as Jesus says elsewhere in, in John's gospel, Jesus, Jesus hadn't left us alone. You know, it's not like we are saved and now Jesus leaves us alone with our reason alone, or Jesus uh, leaves us alone with the, the technology and science, and so kind of we have to work out all you know things by ourselves now. No, Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm going to send the Spirit. So friends, if we are Christians, and we are Christians, we have His Spirit. Jesus, by His Spirit, is in us, and He helps us to discern his spirit talks to our consciences, and we discern right from wrong. We discern what is good and bad. We discern what is helpful 
and not helpful in our lives. Can we as Christians continue suppressing our conscience? Yes, we can. That's rebellion against God. We need to recognize that. Come to him, confess it. But we can discern. We have his spirit. We have his word. We have his family of brothers and sisters who help us to discern things. That's why we hang out together. That's why we encourage one another from the word not to be influenced by the world, culture, mainstream media, yeah, but, but by his spirit and through his word. And so practically speaking, guys, make sure you're meeting up with someone. Make sure you find, um, you know, your Bible study. I know that they are growing Bible study. I mean, growing number of people that are in the Bible studies. But find friends. Find someone with whom you can have coffee or lunch during the week. Talk about these things. Maybe form a, a triplet. Um, you know, find a place to pray for one another. That's how. That's how we discern. That's how we encourage one another practically to, to not give up but fight the sin. Guys, that's it for, for today. Well done. Thank you so much for the questions. They, they were really great. And let's continue this, this nice tradition. Are we singing now? Yes, let's, let's respond to God's word and truth by, by standing up and singing. <laughs>